Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pretzels. Look. What, Chips? Look. Who's the new guy? Fanta. I think he's looking at me. Uh, Pretzels, you got it twisted. He's looking at me. Stop being salty, Chips. We both got a chance. Shh, he's coming over. Ladies. Hi. And hello to you. Back at you, handsome. Fanta picked beef jerky? Mm, girl, we're gonna be here a while. We have Job Search Advice Radio, episode 1952. I'm your host, Jeff Alton, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome. This is one of my long interviews. It's an interview with David Lloyd Jr., and we talk about things to do when times are tough in order to get your job search going. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you find it helpful. I'm going to remind you, as you'll hear at the end of the show, I have a new class up on Udemy called the Ultimate Job Interview Framework. And it's a really good class I did that covers a lot of material in 40 minutes time. Inexpensive, a lot less expensive than my coaching. And I know it'll help a lot of you. And with that, let's get going. So my guest today is David E. Lloyd Jr., a U.S. Marine veteran with almost 20 years of experience as a consultant to the federal government. He's the co-founder, let me restate that, he's the founder of DJ the Career Coach. I don't know where my head was at that moment. And the author of the Job Promotion Manual. His work, well, what he does is help his clients with landing their next promotion, increasing their salary, and networking within the job market. DJ! Welcome. Great to have you on. Great to be here. Yes. Thank you. So here we are. Times are, shall we say, complicated. You know, I've been through a lot of recessions. Mm -hmm. Nothing like this. No one's seen anything like this, for which there's no playbook whatsoever. And we're going to talk today about some of the things that people can do when times get rough. Not necessarily like COVID tough, Mm -hmm. but like tough in general. And you've got 10 things we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So what's number one? What's the first thing that people should do in getting ready when times get rough? Well, my go-to is always my resume. So whenever I am considering moving on to a new job or considering um, this job I have is not working out, the first thing I do is update my resume. That's the, the key thing and making sure that uh, it's up to date and just making sure that it's a, a, a fresh look sometimes can uh, give you some ideas of what to change and what to make better um, and, and, to, and make sure that there's no repetition as you begin um, updating those different sections. I remember in olden times when people had resumes uh, in Times New Roman font, mm. You know, back in the Stone Ages when dinosaurs roamed the earth and it was the ugliest thing known to humanity, but that's what people did. 
you know, in mm-hmm. time, Times New Roman, ugly as all hell. And I go so far as I always tell people, try and make some time every few months to just mm-hmm. update your resume. Because you know, if you're out the door or you're afraid of getting fired, stress mm-hmm. really hits and mm-hmm. you miss things. You don't language them as well. And mm-hmm. thus, it's always better if you just take a few minutes every couple of months mm-hmm. just to update your resume to bring up the date so you don't for, you don't forget anything right that's the key part now not forgetting because sometimes when you're doing a, a training or you're you've learned something new or you've given a training and you forget about it so you don't add it to the resume but if the more frequently you're updating it the more things you can add that are more relevant to the things you're, you're learning new things that you're learning and remember, folks, you can always take it out. Later. Yes. It's harder to remember at that time, but you can always take it out. Yes. And with that, I'll also add LinkedIn profile because LinkedIn, of course, is where the headhunters are out prowling for people. Right. And you, you want your profile ready and up to date um, so that they're reaching out to you because you can always say no. Exactly. And, you know, it's one thing that you also can do outside of just updating your resume is also update those profiles, you know, and it's something that, you know, as you're updating your resume, you update your LinkedIn profile or your monster or Indeed or a career builder, going back and, and updating those profiles, um, keeping them current is a, is a good thing as well. Because um, I always say, like you said earlier about when you have those rough days at work and it always motivates me to go back and update my resume and update my uh my career profiles my job uh descriptions if you're updating your resume on the day you're feeling homicidal it's (laughs) too late (laughs) you should have done it before so that was number one number two so number two um I talked to people and some of them are, I remember I was talking to a, a client and she asked me, she said, hey, do we still need cover letters nowadays? And I said, yeah, covers are still important. It's still important to, to create a cover letter. Um, and especially if you don't have a really lengthy work history, you definitely want to include that cover letter. And the purpose why I say that is because it gives you the extra oomph to your resume because the things that you can't put onto your um, your resume, like your journey or how you got to your current position or how you even got to your current state that you live in. I mean, most of us are, are moving around, moving in places that we didn't live, um, were born and raised. But how did you get there? How did you get to this particular place? You can put that all that in your resume. You can put all those things you can't fit, I mean, in your cover letter, all the things you can't fit in your resume, you get to tell your story in your in your in your cover letter and when you teach people how to do cover letters what are your thoughts about it make it personal you know make it personal um it's a letter make it feel like a letter let you, and sometimes people want to reiterate the things they said on their resume i said no don't do that we are let the resume do what the resume is supposed to do use that cover to be very personal and be direct and so that you get to uh show that you know you're a human being and you have experiences you can mention your children your kids your family um you know why did you uh, relocate those things you can't get in a resume but you can get those things in your cover letter interesting how long do you think a cover letter should be 
I would say no more than three paragraphs. Uh, you know, usually two paragraphs is, is about the, uh, the length of the ones that I do help people create. Uh, but, uh, and then usually those sentences are no more than five to seven sentences within each paragraph. So you don't want it too lengthy because um, who wants to be reading a, a, dissert, a dissertation during a, a cover letter? But you don't want to be too short. You want it to um, definitely make it feel as though you put some time and energy into your, into a, uh, your cover letter, but not overwhelm the recruiter or the hiring manager. Because they won't be interested after a while. Yeah, I see a letter that's five paragraphs. I get kind of, uh, you know, this is going to be long. So right. I wouldn't suggest doing that. Do you have people send it in as the body of an email, as an attachment? Does it not matter to you? Well, uh, usually, I know Monster.com allows you to submit a cover letter with your resume. So that's an opportunity there. Uh, it just depends. Typically, if a recruiter reaches out, I won't typically automatically send my cover letter or ask the client to do that um, unless they really are trying to make an impression. Um, it's not always necessary to, to provide a cover letter, but if there are those situations where you really want to impress the recruiter, you want to stand out, especially if you don't have a lengthy work history, you want to you wanna do those things. But if you have a five-page resume because you're showing all the work history that you have, don't send a, it may not be required to send a cover letter to them, email it to them. It may be a little bit overwhelming to give them another page on top of that. So just be thoughtful about if you was on the receiving end of that, would you uh, do that? And sometimes, you know, if it's five or six pages, and I've seen that five or six page resumes and, um, and adding a cover letter to that. And even I've seen two page cover letters. That's now uh, a, a seven to eight page uh, document you're sending someone to have them look over. That's not going to go over well when you have a recruiter who's who's, who actually you know have interviews and who's doing all kinds of other things in conjunction to getting your email. So just be mindful of if you're going to do a cover letter, you're going to send it. Be mindful of how many pages you're sending that individual, and also be mindful of what is the story you're trying to tell them. It, it may not be necessary. Agreed. Number three. Number three. Uh, avoid restating in your resume, in your cover, the things you said in your resume. I said it again, be, be careful not to just repeat all the things you said in your resume on your cover letter. So, um, so that's another thing that I see people do. They will go back and just start putting a sentence form, all the bullets that they said in the resume. And don't, don't do that. It's, make it personal. That's the purpose of the cover letter. You want to... Uh, as I say all the time to my clients, make a friend, you know, with, with, your, with your cover letter, your interview, try to make it personal. Um, try to tell a story that's compelling and interesting in your cover letter. So that's, and give them insight into why you made certain uh, career choices and hobbies that you love. So that way they feel like, you know, I'm getting to know a person. Gotcha. Are we on to number four or number we three? Are. Are number four now. That's what I thought. Number four. 
So nowadays we have the ATS, and for some people this is intimidating for some, some they, they like the idea, and this is the applicant tracking system. So what it does is it looks through, once you put your resume onto monster.com, Indeed, Career Builder, it goes through, a little crawler goes through looking at all those words that are on your resume and looking for what they call keywords. And based on those keywords, they will begin to fit you into categories based on um, the words that it comes up with. So let's say you have a, a keyword like engineer or a network engineer. Then you're going to start getting uh, emails maybe from those sites about network engineering. And so it's a great thing. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. But let's say you have things that you don't <laughs> want to get a jobs for, but you still have some of those keywords on your resume, you will start to get some of those listings as well. So those are some of the, I guess, the downsides of the ATS system. And that's why we'll get into the objective later about objective statements and why I feel that um, it helps the recruiter um, in this ATS world um, to definitely, uh, when they reach out to you, they know exactly what position you're interested in because that ATS can also sort of backfire in a way to send you down a, a road where you're not interested in. I agree. You know, with an ATS, I know if you position it higher in the resume, mm -hmm. it thinks, you know, it's kind of like currency. It's more current experience. And mm -hmm. thus, if it's in the top of the first page, if it's in the first two thirds of the first page, it likes that, especially if there's repetition. Mm, okay. If it's on okay. the bottom of page two, less interested because mm -hmm. it, it interprets that as being old. So mm -hmm. the things you want to be interviewed for, you always want to have up high. The things you don't want to be interviewed, you want to place low. Because even if it shows up as a keyword on one of these systems, it's scored lower. Because these mm -hmm. systems kind of score things like, this is a 32% possible match. Okay, I'm going right. to skip over that one. Uh, let me go to the 87 first. And uh, I'll get to the number 32 sometime when hell freezes over. <laughs> yeah, and you'll start getting those, uh, those job listings. And I, I had a client one time, he was saying, hey, I'm getting all these jobs that I don't want. I'm getting all these job listings of things that I don't want. And then we went back with his resume. He had like, okay, well, you have these keywords in your resume, so you're going to get them. So we had to go back and sort of look at his resume and rephrase things and, and bring up the terminology a bit so that it was up to date. Gotcha. Number five. Number five. So strategy in salary negotiation. This is a scary thing for people. They do they do not like negotiating salary. They will be they would rather just take whatever they're being offered and complain about it later. <laughs> I not the people that. I work with. <laughs> no. I meet some and the reason why they feel that way is because you just want to hear yes. You want to hear, I got you, you got the job, you know, but that's not good enough. I even had a client one time, she actually took, she knew that the salary they want to give her wasn't, um, you know, wasn't satisfactory, but she was just trying to get a job. She was trying to get back into the workforce and she was going to take whatever they want to offer her. So, but then when she got the job, she had to go back to actually do what she should have done in the beginning. She had to negotiate a salary. 
So to do that effectively, what I believe is you need to really understand your budget because sometimes I think when people don't have the conviction that they really need to say, this is how much I'm worth is because they don't really know how much they're worth. They don't, they don't really know what it is that they need in order for their life to function. So I would definitely recommend Go over your budget. Look at how much your vacation costs, how much your insurance costs, how much uh, all your utilities, all your loans, all your credit cards. Look at that and really come up with a number about this is how much I need in order to survive and save. And then look at how much you're asking for in terms of your salary. So when you're asked what is your salary rate, you, you have that conviction you, so because you, you know how much money you actually need in order to survive off of. And a lot of people are, su- are actually surprised when they actually go through that exercise. I have, this, I have this whole budget exercise they go through to really get them an idea of how much money they need. Most folks go, wow, I'm not asking for enough. Or they'll go, I'm really wasting a lot of my money that I'm getting from my salary. Very true. I know I had a situation a few years ago where a woman I was coaching, uh, she came to me after her interviews had started. She was moving from New Jersey to Seattle and really didn't have a sense of cost of living in Seattle. She thought she did until she was about three interviews in and said, I can't afford to live there. And they're about to make me an offer. And I helped her by just pausing the conversation with the firm and said, you know, I made a mistake. I suspect you know this, but you know, I made a mistake. You know, I thought the cost of living between New Jersey and Seattle was comparable. It really isn't. And she went through four or five different items where Seattle was significantly higher. And they said, okay. <laughs> and they upped what they were proposing to her to get her on board. Now, things can be rectified sometimes but not all the time, particularly when times are tough and employers think, (laughs) I've got one over the barrel. I got one. She can't argue with us. She's unemployed. Right, right. And they use that lever. So folks, be aware of what the market is for what you do. Mm. For real, not just what your friend tells you. Exactly. Do your own research. And my whole thing is know know what you need. That's the thing. Know how much you need. Don't depend on. I mean, there are lots of websites out there that will tell you um, what salaries are for a particular position. But what do you need? How much money do you need to function? And uh, and creating your budget off of that. Now, given you might go out and do all your 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 budget, and you you look at all your your finances and decide that you know I need I still I know that I can make more than that. That's totally fine. But at least you you still have an idea of what your operating expenses are. And I'm also going to remind you that from the time they start asking you about what you're looking for or what your current compensation is, they're negotiating. Right. Job hunters think that negotiation takes place at the end. No, it takes place every time they're asking a money question. That's negotiation. Yes. So don't be surprised. And um, there are ways to duck off of this that I know I've done in other videos and other interviews. But for today, because we're a little tight on time, let's keep going. Number six. Number six. So 
So what I ask people to do, especially in this particular time period where we're looking at uh, the whole pandemic and, and possibly heading to a recession, you want to take online courses. You want to show uh, employers that, hey, I'm learning new skills and I have new skills to, to provide. So and what's great is there's a lot of training that's online is free. So um, I go to Unimi, um, Corsa. I go to these places and look and see what are trainings that are available that I could possibly get a certificate for that, e that is free or I pay, I think Unima, you can pay $13, $15 for for a class and it's really reasonable prices they have for them and they give you a certificate and that's something you can put on your resume. And uh, so that's an opportunity there for you to become more competitive. Great. Uh, folks, Udemy is spelled U-D-E-M-Y. There's Coursera, C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A. I was looking for a friend of mine yesterday. Heck, Harvard has classes online that yeah, you can yeah. take for nothing or very little, like really very little. Uh, so mm -hmm. there's ways to continue your training mm -hmm. and keep improving because that is a signal of someone who's career motivated. Yes, people As, like, they like to see that, someone who's, who enjoys learning. And regardless of age, I talk to some people like, oh, well, I'm at a certain age, should I go back to school? And it just depends on what your goals are. But you still should always continue on taking courses and learning something new. Agreed. You know, you may have noticed this face of mine is not 24. And uh, I'll simply say, uh, older workers comp to ageism much too easily. You know, right. they think they're getting turned down because of their age. Most of the time it isn't. Now, sometimes it is. Most of the time it's skills deficiency, lack of preparation. Mm -hmm. you know, they've done nothing to upgrade their, t their talents over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Their background is dated. That's the biggest issue. Or they don't know how to present themselves. So That's folks the keep taking classes. It makes a big difference. Right. And I always say when someone who's older, uh, you have a ton of experience. And that experience needs to be passed on to the younger generation. So that's one of the things that you show up with, that I have the ability to help others get better and, and help train. So I'm always looking at uh, when I have a person who is older, um, I want to encourage them to include that training, um, that they're willing to train others um, on their resume. Absolutely. And I'll also say, folks, if you get the question that basically translates into, hey, look, I'm 34 and you're not. Uh, how do you feel about working with someone older than you? I'll mm -hmm. just simply say, folks, the way to respond is to say something to the effect of, I've been in your seat. I don't want to be in your seat. I'm happy to help you if you want it. If you don't want it, my feelings aren't hurt. I'll keep my mouth shut and do what you want me to do. And to say it with conviction, not just as though you're going, uh, well, um, yeah, uh, and make it seem like you're making it up on the fly. Like you have to be real clear about this. I don't want to be in your seat at all. If you want my advice, I'll give it to you. If you don't want my advice, my feelings aren't hurt. I'll just mm -hmm. do my job. I'm okay with that. And people respond well to that. And I know that's the big 
you know, the big issue that a lot of older professionals have when they go on the interview and they see the older manager and their first response is to go, oh, I'm doomed. Oh, doomed. <laughs> seven. We're up to number seven. So be flexible. Um, so sometimes when we're stuck in a particular position and we especially when you feel stuck, um, and if you want to get out of that particular position, they want to grow, they want to do other things, they see other people who are moving ahead and they are not. And how do you find flexibility? It may not be the answer is that I want to move to a different position or a different job or a different company. It's just that I want to move to uh, some greater responsibilities and greater opportunities. So if you're in the government, a lot of my customers are government employees or they are um, contractors to the federal government. I try to encourage them to look at uh, what they call TDYs, which is temporary duty um, training, which is what will happen is they will look out and see what positions are open or who can they shadow. And they will begin getting credit for that. They can put that on their resume for all that training they've gotten working in a different environment, maybe a different unit or division, or they may shadow one of their coworkers in the, on the team they're currently with. But that's all things that will you can put on your resume. And because they are tracking that, the government actually tracks this, they will help you, those items you learn will help you get that job. So if there are a particular job that you're interested in that you want to someday hopefully apply for, then you would find the person who's already doing that job and begin to sort of shadow them. And then what happens is when you're ready to apply for that job, you can say, I've already done a lot of those duties already. I've already have already accomplished those tasks. And that makes you more competitive for that position. Interesting. It's an interesting approach that the government takes. Number eight. <laughs> so number eight, prepare to interview virtually. So especially now we're doing a lot of uh, virtual interviews and people are finding out that they don't interview very well on a Zoom meeting. You know, they don't have that connection. They can't make that connection. And, um, and I guess I never thought about that until I started talking to individuals about, you know, hey, I'm getting interviewed and I'm doing them in Zoom meetings, but for something that there's nothing, there's something that's not clicking. And I'm saying, well, do you smile? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Like, do you know, do you open the conversation up with uh, um, a, um, with an opening? So, you know, now when we first started this conversation, it was like, hey, how are you? You know, how are things going? I, I really just didn't jump into, you know, the, the top 10. We actually had a little banter back and forth. So you want to do that in, before the meeting. Sometimes everyone's not conversationalist. So the, the recruiter may not do that, but still it's on you to do that. Um, one of the things back here you see behind me, I have a ton of books behind me. So if I was the interviewer, then what I would do is, um, I, if I was you and I was the interviewer, then you would simply say, hey, you know, I see you're, you're a book lover. You know, what kind of books have you read lately? my face would light up because I'm a, I'm a book guy. So that's a great um, conversational opener so that when you're engaging online, you don't have an office to really look and say, okay, let me see what's on his desk. 
so I can um, start a conversation about that because that's something that I do in an interview. I try to find things that are interesting or, or conversation openers in the person's office. But since you don't have that ability, you're going to have to really, you know, look behind the person and see, do I see any pictures or I see a fern. I think that's a, a fern behind you. The big beast. Oh, you said a baby. But that's a conversation opener. As long as you get a chuckle, you get a laugh. That helps out in terms of breaking the ice um, when you're doing a Zoom meeting. Absolutely. Nine. Sorry, nine. nine. <laughs> so for my number nine suggestion, I have send a thank you letter. So uh, we don't do this anymore. I don't don't send thank you letters anymore or thank you emails any any longer. It's sort of outdated, but it's a great way to make yourself stand out. It's superb. So um, uh, sending a thank you email is awesome. That's great it's, um, to say, hey, I enjoyed the interview. Thank you for meeting with me. Um, hopefully, I'll hear a decision uh, in a certain time frame. If you know the time frame, it's a great, but no one sends hand letter written thank you letters anymore or thank you notes any longer. If you really want to stand out, then I would do that if I really, I really wanted to stand out. So before I leave the interview, I would definitely try to get the person's card in order to find a way to get in contact with them through mail. And then maybe immediately after the interview, um, put together a thank you letter so that way um, you will uh, sort of surprise them with that. And um, it's another way, if you know the, the time period where they're gonna make a decision to say it's gonna be two weeks from the day of your interview, then you can schedule that thank you letter so that they, so by the time they've forgotten about maybe your interview, then they have a little reminder to say, hey, remember me? That thank you can be scheduled, that thank you can be scheduled so that um, you can come up in their memory one more time before they make their final decision. If you know around the time frame they're going to make that decision and it's a little bit farther out into the future. That was number nine, if I'm not mistaken, right? Number nine. Number ten. And number ten, the most important out of all of them. Be patient. <laughs> and that one's interesting. Go into more about being patient. So one of the things that because we're so busy thinking about is that I get the job, that I get the job, that I do well, that I do well, and all the nervousness and, and worry about that, we forget to be diligent. So instead of using that, ener that energy, that, that energy of worrying and trying to figure out, you know, why didn't they just say, um, chose, choose me or had they chosen anybody yet or just sit back and say, what can I do right now that's going to help me to um, possibly not get this job, but maybe another job. So whenever I end the interview, I keep looking. I don't just stop there. You know, I don't stop looking because I had a really good interview or a bad interview. I want to continue looking and searching for jobs because what makes it feel better when I, I am leaving the interview, I know that I have other opportunities lined up in the process. That makes it a lot easier. And especially if you happen to get a no, then it makes it easier when you know that you have other things lined up um along the way so when i say be patient 
I really do mean be diligent and don't just stop looking just because there's a one or two opportunities on the table. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this in a, a way that's designed to be playful. Job hunting is very much like dating. Mm. And, and when you think about dates, uh, now, for me, it's been a long time. And I still remember times where I thought I had a great date and person goes, mm, I don't think so. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing in a job search. You had a great interview and they choose someone else. And you right. go, mm, because you stopped at that point and you're not keeping on looking. Now, one of the fun phenomena that I've always seen is that when job hunters get offers, other offers tend to come in if they keep doing the work. Right. Part of it is that you act like you don't care. Exactly. <laughs> and you relax a little bit and you can be more of yourself and connect with people better. So just mm-hmm. keep dating, folks. Don't mm-hmm. sit back there you know, waiting for the phone to ring going, will he call me? Will she call me? You know, just keep it going out there until someone says, I love you. Yes. I'm in love. Do you love me? And then you can start working at slowing things down. And even then I tell people, don't slow that things down because you don't know if you're getting an offer that's worth taking. Right. And even if you get the job, you hear yes, you don't know if you want to stay. You may get there and say, hey, this, this isn't what I expected. At least you, if you're still continuing to look, then it could be a possibility that you can get one of those jobs that sort of that get me out of here, please. <laughs> because I didn't, I mean, I made the wrong decision. I made the wrong selection. So just because you heard yes, and even if you came aboard, doesn't mean that the job search ends. I always tell my clients, you know, wait three months and to make that final, just to stop looking. Sometimes longer, but usually three months is when you want to uh, stop interviewing for jobs because it could be that the job that you accepted isn't the right fit after you get there. You decide that it is not what I want to be doing. And I'm going to say one of those tough messages uh, and, and say, folks, everyone's lying in the job search process. <laughs> Employers are, shall we say, embellishing the truth a little bit. You're playing yourself to the best of your abilities maybe creating a few fictions in there, right, folks? And if you're working with a third-party recruiter, the good ones are just the messengers of the lies, passing them back and forth between the parties. There are, of course, the overt liars. So given the fact that you're going to be, shall we say, exaggerating a wee bit, and so are they, mm-hmm. they'd be unpleasantly surprised when you arrive. Right. So the notion of, Keep everything up to date. Keep going out on dates uh, after you're on board for a little while. I'll let you decide when, how long that should be. Uh, makes a lot of sense. DJ, this is fabulous. How can people yeah. find out more about you? Yes. So you can reach me at DJ at DJCareerCoach.com. Again, that's DJ at DJCareerCoach.com if you would like to reach out to me. Uh, I did want to mention my book. I'm not sure if I could. Yeah, I, of course. I wrote a book and I'm very excited about it. It's called the Job Promotion Manual, and I have a little I have a, a, a little visual for you here. You can get it on Amazon. It's the number one bestseller on Amazon for a little while, and and uh, I'm really excited about this book because it shows you how to make yourself more competitive, even if you're uh, 
you know, already in the job market and you're trying to make yourself competitive in your current job, or you're going through this whole crazy COVID-19 pandemic thing and you're trying to make yourself more competitive in terms of getting that next job. So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few more ways to get stuff from me. First of all, visit my website, which is TheBigGameHunter.us. And in the blog, there are thousands of posts that you can watch, listen to, or read that will help you. If you have a question for me, what you do is go to TheBigGameHunter.us forward slash live, and you can schedule a 15-minute session with me or TheBigGameHunter.us forward slash video answer. And what you'll get back is a three to five minute video with an answer to your question. In addition, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Mention that you saw this. I like knowing I'm helping some folks. And if you're interested in interview advice, I've got a new class on Udemy and on Skillshare called the ultimate job interview framework. Order the class there. It is terrific. It's about 40 minutes long, if I remember correctly, and it will help you a lot. Lastly, watch me on TV, on an Amazon TV, Fire Stick, or on Roku. Download the Job Search TV app on Apple TV at 90 some odd smart sets. You download BingeNetworks.tv, and Job Search TV is within that app. I hope you have a terrific day, and you know what? Be great! Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day.